for joining the ATI podcast again. We are on season two, episode 16. I've got Josh co-host here as usual. Evening, governor. Evening, sir. And we've got a very special guest, and that is the Mr. Zach Weiss of Cranial Nerve. How are you doing, Zach? Woo! Doing good. Long time, buddy. Thanks for having me, guys. Solid good, dude. I've been really looking forward to having you on the show, Zach, and I know that there was just so much shenanigans and old stories and show stories and stuff that we can get into, and we definitely will today. First, some of the one of the first things I wanted to get into is kind of at least my memory of how I met you. And uh, you can tell things from your perspective as well. But I know at least it probably wasn't like on an official basis, but it certainly was through the music scene in Farmington. So we're talking the middle area mu- music scene in Southeast Missouri. Right. I came out to one of the shows that you did, I believe at the Rock House in 2005. And I'm very confident it was Shatter Mask or Shatter Mask adjacent show that you did there. And I came to several shows after that that you had put on and eventually down the road began working together, doing some shows together. So that's kind of my early memories of you and our relationship and how that budded. Is that kind of how you remember it? Yeah. Yeah. Like I was always doing Shatter Mask shows. So that like. (laughs) That doesn't (laughs) stand out, right? (laughs) That could have been any time. But yeah, the Rock House. Yeah, that rings a bell. Yeah. So. (laughs) So I know that you've got quite the eclectic, you know, experience and, uh, you know, 20 plus years, I'd say, you know, promoting shows, live events, that sort of stuff specifically. But I know like kind of as far as your professional career, your adult life, things started off for you in the service, right? Yeah. Yeah. What branch of the military were you in? I was a Navy hospital corpsman. All right. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So I was kind of like... Navy and Marine Corps at the same time, if that makes any sense. Sure. Like um, the Marine Corps, they don't have their own medics, so they borrow them from the Navy, essentially. Like in layman's terms, that's just the best way to kind of put it. So so that's what kind of happened. And How long did you serve, Zach? Five years. Pleasant experience for you or good life experiences or glass half oh, full, yeah. glass half yeah. empty? How- yeah, it was awesome. Like there are a lot of times I would – want to go back and do it all over again and there are times i'd like to forget it you know that's just kind of how it goes. <laughs> was that like in the late 90s when you served or yeah so so i joined in 97 and i got out like right after like 9 11 so yeah so were you stationed anywhere uh exciting yeah so i was actually my first like real duty station was camp lejeune north carolina we did a deployment to Okinawa, Japan, and uh, that lasted six months. Went to mainland Japan on that deployment for a month, which was awesome, Mount Fuji. So we came back to the United States, and then shortly thereafter, we went on a Mediterranean cruise. So, I mean, wow. we're talking like France, Spain, Italy, beautiful Malta. Um, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Um, then I got back from that and then I got stationed in Chicago at Great Lakes, Illinois, the, the hospital. So yeah. Like, you got to see some stuff. <laughs> working in 
the medical clinic seeing recruits that had runny little noses <laughs> and their, their tummy <laughs> hurt. Quite the different uh, action compared to the deployments in abroad, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How was Japan life for you? I mean, I don't want to gloss over that. Yeah, no joke. Japan was awesome. Like, what I can remember of it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, realistically, what we had to do was either exercise or drink. And, like, I, you know, I wasn't going to exercise any more than I had to. So <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. This is, this is the man, Josh, that turned me on to Keystone Light right here. So he's totally oh, responsible for my experiences with Kingstone Light, that little run and our friendship that I was drinking Keystone Light. This guy set me up. I'll definitely that. never we'll forget those days. Set me down the path of the, the cheap beer. <laughs> hey, that's awesome. Like Keystone Light at one time, they should have like endorsed me because I was, uh, <laughs> you know, a big time income source for them. I haven't had any kind of alcohol for like almost 100 days now, though. So. Well, good for you. Uh, yeah, that's I, awesome. I dude. quit cold turkey. So, do you just do it for health reasons, or you mind masking, or? Well, like realistically, what happened is I'm 45, and I was partying like I was 25. Just catching you know, up. With it you. just kind of kind of catches up, and like I'm I'm in a live show environment like all the time, and you know, like your buddy owns the bar and yeah. the show does well. And then the bottle of whiskey comes out and I just, I just can't live like that. <laughs> so understandable. Yeah. Yeah. Life's kind of gone that way for me as well. I mean, I'm not, you know, completely done drinking, but I don't drink like I used to. That's for sure. The older you get, man, you just don't bounce back like you used to. Yeah, absolutely. You have a few too many and you wake up the next day, you feel like shit and I can't put myself in right. the condition to not take care of my kids. You know, I've got a one-year-old specifically and uh, to have a hangover and, you know, take care of a one-year-old uh, <laughs> is a nightmare. I had just been going too hard and I was sure. exhausted. You sure. Know? <laughs> sure. Yeah. It, it, uh, it really gets hard to know that line and when not to cross it. And whenever you're having fun, it, you take down your walls and maybe some of your triggers to not do certain things. And, you know, I know I, I can speak from experience. I've done very similar things in the sense that like, you know, you're out with buddies, you say, I'm not going to drink one drink turns and then oh, I'll have a drink and that turns into five drinks. And then all, all of a sudden, just like you depicted, it's 5am, I got to work the next day. You know, and then the next day comes around and, oh, I got a show to do or whatever the case is. I mean, I've been there, man. I know all about it. There ain't no way. I just, I'm a, I'm getting ready to turn 36 and I can I can barely do it now, if if at all. Right. And I can just imagine it at 45 trying to do it. So I understand completely, man. Well, and I mean, quite honestly, living in Iowa is, it's almost like being on vacation from Southeast Missouri, to be honest with you. So it's like... Uh, like every night was a celebration when I would go to a, out to a show and, you know, yeah. like it just, it still seems surreal that I don't live in Park Hills, Missouri anymore, you know, but, <laughs> right. but, uh, it, it was like, like every night was a special occasion. Let's celebrate. Right. You know, there, there comes a time where it's like, Hey, let's make some better decisions. And, you know, I, that kind of, that hit me. So, right. Yeah, I can understand that totally. And I'm sure a lot of that was uh, probably fostered in the military life. And then show promoting and doing shows and working with bands and stuff like that, that just uh, kind of helps the interest in having a few beverages. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it does. Like, uh, I was definitely a lot looser at times when I would uh, 
drink. But yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. A little, little robotic, you know, <laughs> right now, but. It's all good, man. Hey, uh, so once you got out of the military, I got to know, like, kind of when the show promoter aspect of things started for you, because, you know, obviously it's an interest that you had to take at some point and say that this is something I'm going to do, like live events, show promotion, booking bands, you're a booker. I mean, you kind of wear multiple hats, audio engineer, you do your own live audio. Where did that start for you? Well, it's a it's a strange story. So when I was like, 14 years old, I started playing Magic, the card game. And uh, Magic has a whole lot to do with my whole journey. So I was at a concert, or at a concert, I was at a Magic tournament, actually. And uh, my opponent was Perry from Shattermask. Okay. And uh, so he had, his hair was like dyed, and, you know, he, he has passed now, you know, rest his soul. but. He had like eyeshadow on and fingernail polish. And I'm like, hey, that's kind of cool. I'm like, that's awesome. And he's like, oh, yeah, I had a show last night. I'm like, are you serious? A show? What, what are you talking about? It's like, oh, I'm in a band. And at that point, I was like, a band? What? So he was telling me like, like you know, yeah, we're from DeSoto and we play shows and whatnot. And I'm like, really? Tell me more about this. So it's like. I had kind of just at that point discovered that, you know, local bands existed. Yeah. So that was my daughter. She was like, she's 20 now. So that was, she was just a couple months old at that point. So that was 20 years ago. Wow. Wow. And uh, realistically, I didn't think anything would come of it. I wanted to just, it's like, hey, let's do a show. Yeah. Like, let's set up a show. And, there were some kids in Farmington that would, you know, they would throw shows at Long Memorial Hall there right. at the Farmington City Hall. At the time, you could rent it for like 50 bucks. And so it's like we agreed we were going to do a show and there was nothing going to stop us. <laughs> we did it. I put four bands on it. I remember it to this day. It was Shattermask, Torrance, Disference, and a band from St. Louis called State of Mind. Had no idea what we were doing at all. None. Fortunately, there was a PA under the stage that <laughs> was used at the time because nobody had any kind of like foresight to, sure. you know, like make any plans. So we just, <laughs> we kind of did the thing. It happened, you know, yeah. and I remember like, you know, all of our expenses were covered. All the bands were paid very well. and. Like I ended up leaving with like $14. So I'm like, wow, you know, this is kind of a cool concept. And, uh, (laughs) uh, you know, just, it kind of snowballed from there. So realistically. Yeah. So I, I would, now whenever you first threw your show, and this might be like cart before the horse, but did you like already come up with this idea? Like I need to have a name for my production company and what I'm doing. How did that start? At the time, like, so I was a security guard at mineral area hospital and um, like I was working with another guy and we decided we were going to come up with a little production company. And it was the original incarnation of it was called underworld productions. So what happened there is we did that show and then it, 
I kind of went off on my own and I changed it up and then I added an X. So it was Underworld X Productions at that time. And uh, basically, um, we, we, I'm trying to remember the timeline because it was like a big blur. There was um, the old bowling alley in Park Hills. Yeah. Um, it had a big sign on it. These people were renting it out and they had a nightclub in there. It was called Club Thump. <laughs> and, uh, Get your thumb. It was on. like, yeah, they would rent rent me the the stage they had for fifty bucks at the time. You know, like you couldn't beat that. No, and uh, so I didn't have a PA yet at that time. And we had our buddies from the band Torrance in Washington, Missouri. They would come down from Washington with their PA, and they would run the shows. You know, we did six or eight shows at Club Thump and. Some of them were pretty good, some of them not. <laughs> but, it's all part of the learning process. Yeah. So Club Thump, what was that, about 2003 that you would say? Um, yeah, that was late, late 2003, I would say, early 04. I want to say I remember some of that because like, I, it, I want to say like that was like around the cruising days. Yeah. Remember the strip, cruising the strip in Park Hills? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so one disaster we had there is, I mean, it just... We had like eight bands booked on a show. It was like a metal fest or whatever the gimmick was at the time. And our buddies with the PA, they were late, like extremely late. And I can't remember what the issue was, but it was it was a good reason. And the show went to like two or three in the morning. It was oh a nightmare. Wow. Yeah, it was just like one of those just... When they finally showed up with the PA, I was kind of like, I was hoping some of the bands would be like, oh, it's too late. I don't want to play. Right. I was hoping they would just go go home. But <laughs> they were like, no, we want to play, dude. So <laughs> it's like, you know, we're, we're the wee hours of the morning, I'm sure we were breaking some kind of law. I don't know. Probably. But at those times, man, you it seems like you kind of got away with a little bit more versus you yeah. know, years down the line. Yeah. I don't know. Park Hills police were a little notorious back then maybe even more so than now i thought maybe <laughs> with like stuff like that yeah uh i know as far as like the local music scenes concern too zach is uh anybody who's you know listened to our show to date you've heard us reference and we've had doug wicker on the show previously the bang the drum the life and death of a local music scene documentary and yeah they kind of talk early in those discussions about the shows at the bowling alley and, and that's the bowling alley that they reference in there as well. You know, those shows started to progress on to other venues in the Farmington area where people really anywhere that would have a show and Zach, you could back me up on this. People would have shows in Farmington too. And I know like a lot of what Zach did specifically in, at least whenever I got started in the scene in about 2005 was at the rock house at that time. And then on to places like Bob Arino's, Long Hall, we've mentioned too, uh, was kind of something that was in and out. Long Hall got kind of weird. Rosner's, another very popular spot too that I know that several shows were held at. Uh, even the VFW halls and Legion halls and things like that in the area too had yeah. shows. Potosi even had shows from time to time. I know we played some shows down there. Zach, you may even ran the sound at a show or two that we played down there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we would do uh, we would do sound for the battle for Potosi. That's right. It was that big American that. Cancer Society fundraiser. Yeah, we did sound. I think eh, I can't remember two or three years for that. So there was also the JC Park in Fredericktown. Like, so the, like the whole, 
you know, city council and the mayor and all that of Fredericktown, they were really cool back then. And they, they allowed like more than Farmington actually. So we did shows in JC Park right there, like right in downtown Fredericktown. And those turned out awesome. Um, there at the end, like Engler Park, we were doing shows there. Like the city of Farmington would actually like kind of, uh, they'd be like, well, we, we don't really want to do long haul, but do Engler Park all you want. And like, I think it was five bucks to reserve a pavilion or something. It was just, it was silly. Yeah. But uh, we did some really good shows at Engler. I did, uh, I did a few at Columbia Park and Park Hills. We did one in Elvin's Park. There was Eight Up Inc. over there in Park Hills. We did shows at all the time. Yeah. The Farmington VFW Hall, we did shows at on occasion. Farmington Amvets. Uh, one time, like, I don't know how I did it, but I talked the owner of the dugout to allow us to do a Halloween show. And we had like eight metal bands. Yeah. It was insane. Like, I would always hit her up and be like, hey, you know, can I book a show? And she'd be like, well, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. And then you'd <laughs> never hear from her again. So finally, one time, like, I went in. I can't remember who was with me. Somebody in a local band, like, that was, you know, a smooth talker, better than me. <laughs> and, like, we, we both went in there and, like, we had a plan. And, like, so we finally talked. I can't remember her name. Sue, I think. We talked her into letting us do a show, and man, it was just—it was insane. It was awesome. I know that there is, you know, uh, outside of some of the places that you mentioned, I know it. Like even down in Ironton, there was a few times that they tried to throw shows down there uh, at the PK Bowl that they had Pilot Not Bowl down there. There was a few shows down there, uh, trying to kind of replicate some of that same spirit that was going on in the more happening spots, like you know. Farmington and, and things of that oak, but I know at some point, Zach, for you at least, in, in what you were doing, things kind of changed from Underworld X and you went into Zach Weiss promotions. And I know the time that which I got to know you a little bit better and more personally was some shows that we did together at Bob Arenos specifically. And it was kind of a, I guess the re initial reincarnation of Bob Arenos when Bob was running it out to a family that was, uh, I guess, managed it if you will at the time and uh you came in that relationship was i think we already basically had sh like bands and talent sorted out but i just needed you to run sound yeah yeah and you ran sound for me on a few shows i don't were you active at that time still yet or were you kind of in a low yeah so a lot of it really is a blur mm -hmm. i was actively booking shows i think the um so bob had he had been running it for a while and then something happened and the city didn't want to do shows anymore. So everybody had to cancel a whole bunch of shows. And then, then it kind of set dormant for a while, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And then the, the newer guy came in and kind of revitalized the business. Joe was his name. I did a few shows with him. I did that. I wrestled a bear once show. I did um, Rusted Skin, a few other just local metal shows. Yeah. But yeah, like the newer guy, he kind of revitalized it. There were some newer guys doing shows there. Right. Um, I can't even remember what promotional companies they were going by. I, I know that you had done some shows there. I did some shows there. Cato, old friend of the show, Cato Gatsby. Oh, yeah. Rest in peace. He did some shows himself there across the Atlantic, was pretty active at that time. You know, the thing about the mineral area 
music scene with all the adversity that we faced with all these venues shutting down from time to time again, it's like we kept finding places to make these things happen, even if it involved us going back to a place that was previously a no and revitalizing that place. Like I know a huge knife to the artery in this area was whenever the rock house got shot down and a lot of stuff like big time John Mancuso took that over. Yeah. And a lot of the pay the play type shit started happening. And a lot of these bands around here couldn't really, you know, get with that MO and Mancuso was trying to bring in like big touring acts with like large multi-thousand dollar guarantees in some cases. And he wasn't getting the local turnout too. So that was kind of bad, like business dealings and things like that. So the rock house kind of fell flat on his face. I know before that, you know, at least my last dealings was with, was with the Robinson family and they were always very cool. Kevin Robinson was always cool to me. Yeah. He was straight up. Yeah. Yeah. And I know you did a lot of work with Kevin. Very good guy to deal with. Yeah. You booked a lot of shows there. Yeah. So the, the actual owners of the rock house, they, from what I recall, I had a very difficult time dealing with them from time to time, but you know, Kevin came in, did a great job for a long time. Yeah. Um, and then when uh, Mancuso came in, I think he re- he renamed it Center Stage. That's right. Yeah. He was there for a little bit, and then uh, I think there was some issues with like um, the sprinkler system inside, and I believe they they got kind of shut down. For a while and yeah. like he never just never opened back up. So I think a lot of that was city issues, right? Farmington city issues, like uh, the building not being up to code and whatnot. That was definitely a part of it. I can speak from a unique experience because I actually worked for Mancuso briefly a little bit. Um, there was a lot of drama, quite frankly, going on there yeah. and just outside of the city issues. I think the city was just kind of trying to come and nitpick at him because of all right. of the drama that was going on city gossip this that the other thing so uh i i just remember very distinctly there was an occasion that supposedly the bathrooms weren't working at one point and so the city came in and said well you can't run shows if you don't have a public restroom so he came up with this loophole where i guess that we could do shows out of the the storefront uh technically and the city couldn't shut us down so whatever shows he had for the next couple weekends that was the plan Well, when you showed up to go play, and this is like in the dead of like dog days of summer, like August, I want to say, we actually had to play outside and not inside. And so like bands weren't receiving that very well and kind of like the issues of playing outside just audibly as a musician and things like that. So that didn't go over very well. I think some people didn't get the guarantees that they thought they were getting. That was another factor and all that. And then I think some of Mancuso, Mancuso kind of like lived there too. So some of his uh, interpersonal family and drama and stuff like that kind of spilled out in for everybody to witness at times. And that yeah. that wasn't good either. Um, so I think the city, and it was in a unique spot too. And this is kind of the elephant in the room that we've not even touched on yet. And that's the fact that you got to consider the location of center stage in Farmington, the old rock house. And that is the fact that it's nestled between like four or five churches, uh, right next, you know, very close to the courthouse, now an annex building, basically next door to it. There's funeral homes, there's residential tucked up right next to it, schools. So there's a lot of like tightly congested people in that area with a lot of old blood in the city and political influence too. Right. And 
we could throw in the religious influence as well, which I could go on a whole episode about that, that thing in particular. <laughs> well, and realistically, you have 214 liquor right outside. That's right. And, you know, between bands, where do they go? Okay, they go right over across the street to the liquor store. They buy a whatever, and then they're out in the parking lot drinking. They slam it. It goes into the parking lot into the church parking lot right? and wherever there's cans, bottles everywhere after a show Sunday morning, after a big Saturday night show, the church people show up, they're pissed because there's liquor bottles everywhere. Right. They were always, so I ran the rock house for about three months and they were always complaining at city council meetings, always trying to get the rock house shut down. And it was specifically that First Baptist Church behind there, you know, and they they have a grievance, you know, they, yeah, I I get it. You know, you don't want to have your congregation show up on a Sunday morning and with, you know, bottles everywhere, but the ownership of the rock house could have taken measures to clean it up and, and, you know, preserve a little bit of peace with the city and everybody, but they were just kind of. They weren't having that at the time. It was a pissing contest, you know, and uh, it was just that that venue, the building, like it was just doomed from the get go. It, it would come in and out like it was just, you know, intermittent. It had so much potential for a venue, really. But yeah, and it didn't have enough consistency either. I'd, I'd say like the most consistency, I feel like, was the time that Kevin was there. It seemed like he was kind of running things the longest to me, but maybe I have a warped perception on, you know, who was there the longest too. I feel like Mancuso was only there for like six or eight months. Yeah. 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 Mancuso, he was not there for a long time. I think you're probably right. I think Kevin was there early on when the place first had opened and then he was there later on and like yeah, two different the existence stints. of the place. And- so I had done a couple of shows there with Kevin and always had a really good experience with him. So there was no issues there with him. So I think a lot of it was just like the fact that there's only a dozen bands and that really doesn't sustain a, a venue in a small town. That's fair. And then, you know, as we discussed all the city issues like the religion and law enforcement and that, you know, it, I don't have that issue anymore. But at one time, that was a very real thing. Like, yeah, absolutely. You couldn't book a show without wondering, hey, you know, are the cops going to shut me down and then I lose a shitload of money? Right. You know, and so I got to the point where, see, and I had an inside track in law enforcement because my father-in-law worked for the sheriff's department. So. I got to the point where I would just tell them, hey, we're going to book a show this date. And then we would hire police to be our security. That way, you know, they felt like they were important and in control and whatnot. So we were (laughs) we were literally, you know, just you can't beat them, join them kind of thing. (laughs) My early running of shows or whatever. Actually, it was Josh and I. We were kind of in lulls of playing music, but we were still friends with everybody in the music scene and. Wanted to be involved, so we booked shows. Josh started working at Nature's Cup, so that provided us an in for doing stuff there specifically. And then I just kind of throughout the year, some of the connections and relationships that I built at Nature's Cup went on to book shows at like Barberino's, for example, and so on. So, and whenever we Barberino's was kind of 
I will say kind of my big boy booking, if you will, where I did a lot of most of everything myself uh, with the exception of your help, Zach, to run sound on quite a few occasions. But uh, I even had my own PA at one point and ran my own sound a few times too. But I can speak from my perspective and dealing with all that as well. And I didn't necessarily, I didn't have any ends like you, but I did try something similar. I actually went down to uh, downtown Farmington City Police Department because they're the ones who kept showing up and shutting us down, claiming that we were being too loud, even though we were within the city noise ordinance within the city limits. I think it was 10 o'clock at the time. And uh, they'd, they'd routinely come in and shut us down like 8.50, 9.20, like well before the city ordinance time. And I got to the point like, you know, they really have no other reason they're shutting us down because everybody, everything was above board. I mean, there might have been like one fight. And out of 20 plus shows, maybe that I did there. And so I, I mean, I would prefer that there was zero, but one, you know, you're not going to win them all. Right. And uh, that wasn't the reason the cops got called either. (laughs) You know, the cops got called because it was too loud. So I eventually I was like, you know what? I need to go down to the police department, introduce myself, tell them who I am, like what our intentions are. And we're running shows like this and we have security at the door and this and that. And they're welcome to come by. You know, I'll be happy to buy the officers a slice of pizza or pizza or whatever, you know, to kind of schmooze things over. I went down to City Hall, I shit you not, and requested to speak with the police chief or a supervising officer. And they looked at me like I had four fucking heads, dude. They (laughs) were totally astonished by the fact that I guess that I had the gall to come in there and talk to anybody, as it were anyway. And they damn near laughed me out of the building to begin with. So I don't really know, and I'm not going to get into the weeds further with that, but that's just, that's just the initial me going in there and wanting to talk to somebody that tells you everything you needed to know. There was already preconceived notions. They didn't have any intent to work with anybody. And maybe it's been, it was established because of all those bad experiences and bad actors that we talked about before, but I can just speak from my perspective. That's kind of what I dealt with whenever I was booking shows. And that really took the steam out of a lot of people in the local area because they were successful. They were an avenue for kids to get out and do something more positive uh, with their lives other than, you know, a bunch of tomfoolery, (laughs) you know, and creating property damage and shit like that, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Well, the Farmington scene, like at one time, it it was really something like special to be a part of. It it was like remarkable, you know? And like I mentioned Fredericktown a minute ago, Fredericktown really had a nice little thing going with like all these just awesome bands. We're talking like Crypt 33, like yeah. they were like just awesome. And I, Tim, if you hear this, I miss you guys. <laughs> but uh, yeah, St. Genevieve had bands. Um, there were a few like Potosi, Bonterre bands, you know, it was just like a thriving scene. I can't forget to bring up Joey, oh, yeah. Joey O'Farrell. You know, he was oh, bringing yeah. in like some heavy hitters. right now shows that none of us would be able to afford because <laughs> like, you know, all the fallout boy shows and like the, what did I shoot under oath? He booked like, Spittlefield. You know, yeah. we, we just, we really had like just something special going on there. And we, I think we kind of knew it at the time, but at the same time, we, we kind of just like, oh, yeah, this is just farming. This is how it'll be. Yeah. But now that we don't have that, it's kind of like, ooh, you know, man, it, it really gives me a perspective on like my journey getting back into booking shows. It's like, okay, you know, you have to slow down, take it, 
you know, just one day at a time and enjoy everything. Right. You know, and, you know, and one thing I have learned is even your shows that don't go so well, that is an invaluable tool. Um, I have made like amazing friends as a result of shows that flopped, you know, and they like, really, I'm not trying to toot my own horn. They don't happen all the time, but they do happen. And that's, you know, that's kind of like people see your true character and how you deal with adversity. And they're like, Oh, okay. You know, and friendships are made out of those situations. I agree. And every now and then something like that happens and it just, it opens a doorway and creates all these contacts that, you know, you didn't know were important at the time, but later on down the road, it's, it's like, you're thankful that that show happened so many years ago, you know, regardless of the outcome. (laughs) Well, while we're on the subject of connections and contacts and making them and how you conduct yourself and that sort of thing. I mean, obviously the whole reason that I reached out to you back in the day to work together was that I saw how you conducted yourself with professionalism and you just like always handled your shit and you were a real dude and uh, just a pleasure to work with and work for if we were a band playing for you on one of your shows. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. Timely with communication, any questions, you know, I can ask some stupid fucking questions and uh, you never made me feel like I ever asked a stupid question too. So I can't, uh, I think you are definitely don't get the recognition that you deserve specifically for some of the successes in this area and show going and those experiences for kids and creating memories. So kudos to you for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. I trust me. I know how it is to, to have questions and, you know, I learned the hard way just by doing it and making every mistake possible. And, you know, it's like, if, if I can answer a question, I will, you know, and you mentioned like timely communication. My thing is one of my little sayings is no response is a response. And, you know, you can learn a lot by not getting a response from somebody like, oh, okay. Not, you know, um, there's a, a venue that I work with that they, I haven't actually done a show with them yet because we just can't come together on a date yet. But so every time I will send them an email, I will get a response, a very pleasant response, very professional response. And, you know, somebody that has been doing this for a long time, you come to that, you appreciate that more than you could ever explain. It's like, you know, okay, it's like, okay, they didn't give me the date because it's already filled. Yeah. But this courteous professional response that I just received from them, you know, this is a venue that I want to work with. Right. You know, and it just, it takes 15 seconds to type a couple sentences, you know, like, Hey, sorry, no, blah, 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 whatever, you know, and maybe next time instead, you know, I get ignored a lot. (laughs) I know the feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Like when it comes to emails and stuff, you know, no response is a response. That's just my philosophy. And then I just kind of move on. I'd, I'd say there's exceptions sometimes. Well, and when I'm trying to really, really pursue a venue, I will follow up at the seven-day mark just to bug the piss out of them. But, 
that works sometimes. So, you know, kind of the MO of the show, uh, when Josh and I set out to do this again. So we actually first did the podcast in 2010 and we just kind of like grazed the surface of what we wanted to do. And again, that was kind of in motivation, much like us promoting shows was because we didn't have anything creatively going. So we're going to do this podcast and that way we can talk about things creatively that are going on that we enjoy. So it was like when Bauhaus coffee first opened and they started to do shows there. So the timing of everything was kind of great because we could start promoting shows again, not necessarily shows per se that we booked, but we, our friends were on or our friends were booking. We could talk about that. We could bring local bands on, talk to them. We would talk to people from St. Louis bands, Columbia bands still. Uh, we didn't, I mean, again, we didn't get into the weeds like we do now, <laughs> do now and technologies went uh, went a far away, but you know, some of that too is talking to businesses now, which we didn't get the opportunity to do before. And that's small businesses that are unique and I feel like have a good product and they're like actually in it for the customer. Like, you know, a business, you need to make money at the end of the day, right? To keep the wheels spinning, the lights turned on. And there's there's money that needs to transact for people to live that work at those businesses. But, you know, I don't feel like we spotlight anybody that's like out there for like corporate greed or anything like that. There's a, and I making a long point here, but we where you were talking about earlier with like the non responses and stuff, I've had some very similar experiences and there's a, there's a very unique business model for a, a record store that I'd really like to have on our show, but unfortunately we can't get them to uh, respond in a timely fashion. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, things are probably just not going to happen, uh, you know, and some of that was mixed in with non-response or whatever, but I've also had it happen where somebody's messaging me and I'm in the middle of 10 different things. And I, I can speak for myself, like, and I'm not saying this for anybody to feel sorry for me, but like, I got too much shit going on. I got three kids. I manage multiple businesses. I've got this show going on. We're trying to book people. I'm also trying to help other people out who have questions. Like a lot of people reach out to me, even old guests from the show or somebody that's like wanting to push a single on an episode or whatever the case is. And now I got a T-ball team too. And you know, all that fun stuff that life throws at you that, and you know, trying to keep up with your own house and the, you know, the chores and the man chores or what have you, it gets kind of crazy. So I try to give everybody the benefit of the doubt, but yeah. Oh yeah. And the thing is one more little point is you never know who is on the other end of that email that you're ignoring. Like you don't know what opportunities you're passing by, by not, you know, you might not be interested in this Tuesday show. They're pushing at you, but who's to say that, you know, that fancy Saturday show they send you two months from now might not be down your alley. Like, I mean, like I said, you never know what's coming. You never know who that is on the other end. No, I agree. You know, and even if you're not interested, you know, I make it a point. Hey, thank you very much. No, blah, blah, blah. Here's this venue here. You might try, you know, just like a little bit of common courtesy. Yeah. Professional courtesy. Transfer over to somebody else and it goes a long way. You know, absolutely. No, I agree. And another subject matter I wanted to hit on with you too, Zach, while we're talking local music scenes and things like that, you know, I don't, I hear this excuse about social media being a cause for local music scenes to dry up and things like that. But I actually saw it as a vehicle to bud them. So for example, back to the Farmington music 
scene. STL Punk was a huge driver in that. I know. Oh, um, absolutely. St. Louis music scene. You can go back even further with like what was it, GTP days back the the message board. Yeah. I so. still remember my username. Yep. What was it? <laughs> Underworld Empire. That was my GTP username. It's like woo. Nice. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, and then I think it kind of uh, changed into MySpace a little bit there for a little while, and Facebook ruled the world for a long time. But, uh, you know, they were just really marketing vehicles for people to get the information out about their shows. I don't, now don't get me wrong, as a concert goer, you do see the effects of social media in social settings, but I don't think that they stop people necessarily from going to shows. Is it? Is there more information about there about other live live events that might attract people to things elsewhere? Yes, but at the end of the day, I think we all crave some type of social interaction, human interaction. I know a lot of my relationships are built upon, you know, through the music scene. So that's what I always go back to. But I have a I'm a fan of the arts in general. I like sports, sporting events. What What are your thoughts with that theory, Zach? I I don't find it to be valid personally. Well. To be 100% honest with you, I think social media is great. Like, uh, as far as, like, from a promoter's perspective, it's not the end-all, be-all. You know, there are people that are not on social media. You know, I I don't know any personally, but I'm they exist, you know. Like, I, I would pay $100 to put a banner ad on STL Punk for... 30 days. So that was like a very basic form of social media back then, you know, and that was like uh, a light bulb that all the flies kind of like gravitated towards one, you know, and every now and then you'd see your profile like featured in the, there was like the little square on the left. And like, if you'd see your profile featured, it would be like, Ooh, look at me. Yeah. You know, but uh, <laughs> it, it was like, it was a really cool thing. And so it's like, do I think social media really has an effect on like decline in show attendance? I, I don't think so. What I think has a, a decline, uh, an effect is just saturation. Oversaturation. The same band playing 500 times in the same month, the same venue. Definitely. Like, nobody's going to come to that, you know, like they just saw you last Tuesday. Right. Why are they, they're not excited. They don't give a shit. They don't want to see you. <laughs> it's like, give it a month or two and then they'll be excited about you again. But <laughs> no, I agree. I think some people kind of got tra- caught in the traps and the musings of, and the convenience, quite frankly, just playing down here too. Yeah. I mean, I know that there was many occasions that we in the vans that I was in over time were asked to play shows down here because a band fell off or whatever. And there was definitely a few of those that we jumped on, but we did start to learn that. I mean, we were young kids. We were just hungry to play in front of people and people to hear our music and people to like us. You know, when I think I started in the scene, I was either 18 or 19. I know there's people that started earlier than me. I kind of lived a somewhat sheltered life up until I was like 17 or so. But yeah, you know, I, I just think a lot of that really has to do with some of Real, just to put a button on more of the local scene here in our experiences, I think a lot of it had to do with an amalgamation of the things that we talked about prior to that. Prior to that, mismanagement of venues, outside influences like city administrations, religious influences, that sort of stuff, more so than the social media aspect of things. You know, again, Nature's Cup, another place that had a good thing going. It, I don't think it. I don't remember it ever getting shut down for sound. Josh, do you? No, because they were kind of on an island, really. 
over there. Yeah, I think maybe they did an outside show once, and then they decided if they do any more outside shows, they had to do them other, somewhere else. But I think as far as the inside, I don't think it ever got shut down. That's as far as I can remember. Yeah, I think that was kind of the case. I do recall that being the case. They, uh, I think they had like a battle of the bands out all day thing that uh, they ended up getting some complaints over. But that was like really the only complaint that I ever recall us ever dealing with over there. Yeah. Again, it kind of went into. You know, it was kind of a boutique coffee shop really was its business model. And at the end of the day, they needed to sell coffee. They weren't selling a lot of coffee at those shows. You know, yes, they were taking admission, but it got kind of loose. You know, if you knew somebody, that sort of thing, too. You got you to get your door charges. You know, you got to be able to pay the bands. And then you start stiffing bands. And, you know, just again, it's just kind of that perfect storm of bad stuff happening that Everybody starts on the up and up with the best intentions, I feel like. But, uh, you know, you start making an exception for this one and then that one and kind of the snowball effect, if you will, turns into an avalanche. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so there was another venue that we haven't talked about yet that was incredible. It was. Do you remember it? I think I'm going to see if you can. Think of it before I bring it up. Well, in the factory. Oh, yes. The, the vault. vault. Yep. Yeah. Oh, the vault. Tim Smith. Yeah. Oh, Tim Smith. Like I mentioned him earlier. He was in Crypt 33. Yeah. That Love was him. like it was a big city venue down in Farmington. And I mean, it was like they had things that you would see like at the Crack Fox. Just awesome shit. And uh, it was it was just really too good for Farmington, honestly. It should have yeah. should have been in St. Louis or Denver or KC or, you know. It would have done like, well. It was incredible. Yeah, and, and Tim Tim had it together, too. I mean, he's got all yeah. the credentials in the world. Fantastic graphic designer on top of it. Amazing cook, Absolutely, by the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Timmy, we need your cooking. <laughs> I see his Instagram posts all the time, and I'm like, man. Yeah, I know. Food porn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Big time. And he's really into the cramps too. So and like Yeah, cramps are good. I watch a lot of his uh Instagram stories or whatever they're called. And uh, he plays a lot of like eclectic rockabilly sixties type stuff. And that's how I discover a lot of bands is through Tim. So <laughs> uh Tim Tim's a good guy. He uh put on a show for the last band I was in, Meyer Giants, uh, uh did a basement show for us. Uh just to have something in Fredertown. Lot, huge turnout he did it like in his it was i think it was in the basement of his house his dad did sound he still had his sound equipment and stuff and uh, man it was one of my one of the funnest shows i ever played it was just a little basement show and packed it out everybody was just like kind of hanging out having a good time and uh just him as a guy who diy till you die you know i just love yeah, that yeah absolutely I, you know, and he has really like inspired me through the years too. Like he is like straight up DIY and like, I mean, he was doing like high level shows in the parking lot of unique Inc in Fredericktown. Like he did uh, like a free P Lander Z show one time. And like, uh, like he was always bringing in like national touring acts and doing free shows. I think he booked White Reaper at one point too. Like they came down to like Farmington, Missouri, of all places. I think White Reaper came down and played. And <laughs> I mean, they're awesome. they're pretty popular now. So Zach, back to you and you your accomplishments specifically. I know we kind of talked about the fact that the Underworld X stuff shifted into Zach Weiss Productions. I know that you had a lot of credible shows and packages and bookings. Uh, you talked about the I wrestled a bear once 
show. Duck, Duck, Bill, Duck, Duck, Goose was supposed to be on that bill too. I think they had vehicle issues. Yeah. That was a show that we played for you there as well. Uh, I remember that show was a pretty good time. And, and that was held at Bob Arenos. And yep. I know that you had the Battle for Fear Before competition over at Long Hall. And that's where we got kind of kicked in the pants. And Long Hall didn't want to do things anymore. So as I remember, I guess that was kind of, at least in my experience in the band that I was in, that was pretty much the you know the end of playing in Farmington for the most part. Yeah, it, it seems like things kind of went south after that. Like we had, uh, we had a show booked there with like, uh, there was Dr. Acula. And um, I don't know, somebody else on the tour package. And I think one of the bands showed up and uh, there was some kind of issue with like a bottle out back or something. And then like Farmington, they just it was just a a bad night altogether. And Farmington decided, hey, I think we're kind of done. And so I had contacted them about that Fear Before show which was a good show. It was like, it was an awesome show. It would have been packed. And, um, they essentially told me no more shows. So then, you know, after we had worked our butt off to, to land that in Farmington, I had the, you know, the, the misfortune of contacting the agent saying, Hey, here's what's up. So and and they were hooking us up anyway because it was the last date on the tour and it, I think it fell on a Sunday if I can remember right and um, they were headed somewhere from somewhere how it always ends you know so it's like right sure there was just there was no other venue to move it to and that kind of left a sour taste in that agent's mouth I don't even remember who it was whatever but. Um, and then I was kind of like, eh, you know, I'm done with Farmington. So for the next few years, we would book shows over at the Amvets for a while. You know, typical, you know, uh, one trick pony kind of shows, metal shows or, and, you know, and right. that was kind of it for a while. Yeah. I think I remember a little bit of that activity at the Amvets. I, we played one show there. Uh, Meyer Giants did, but yeah, I think it was like 2016, 2017, maybe. Uh, if I remember yeah. timeline right, yeah. How long have you been in Iowa now? You've been there for a few years, right? Little over two years. Okay. Yeah, I had uh, made a deal with my wife. It's like she wanted to move up here to Iowa, and uh, it's like you know the lead belt. All those homes that were owned by the mines, they were built with mine chat. So we, our house, like. Had uh, had some foundation issues, and I'm like, we will never sell this house ever. Yeah. So I made a deal with my wife. It's like, okay, you sell the house, we'll move to Iowa. Well, like two weeks later, she sold the house. So, oh wow, I wasn't expecting it really, to be honest with you. I'm like, nah, this is never going to happen. And uh, so we move up here, uh, doing our thing, and incredible venues up here, you know. Um, why Iowa might ask my brother works for, um, Iowa total care. And, uh, so it's basically like this, the Iowa version of Centene. And, um, so my wife works for Centene and, uh, so, so does mine. She got some kind of promotion and now she works remote. I don't even know what she does. She's been promoted 50 times. We're like, <laughs> Ozzy and Sharon. she's like, 
all businessy and smart, and I'm like a hillbilly idiot. So. <laughs> Sounds like me and my wife. I was going to say, it's very similar to my sister. <laughs> yeah, like, I am just like the biggest loser, and here she is, like, making all the big bucks, and, you know, like, here I am, just like, you know, like Jack Black in Orange County, you know, like. <laughs> Hell yeah. Like, hey, can I score some of your piss? <laughs> but, uh, so it's like, I was kind of down, like I wasn't doing well here. And uh, my wife's like, maybe you should do a show. And like, I had been bugging Cancer Slug for years about doing a show. Great name too. So finally, Cancer Slug decides, okay, we're going to go on a tour. And I'm like, okay, well, I can do that. So here I am. I don't even have a job. And like, I'm selling plasma to... Uh, pay for show expenses and like I I do this cancer slug show we pulled off old school like punk rock style I didn't you know no pre-sale tickets or none of this we just we, straight up old school like I wanted to do one show just to get it out of my system and be done with it and uh, that didn't quite work <laughs> so <laughs> so that one show turned into a bunch so, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I, I just kind of Facebook friend watch, if you will. It seemed like kind of at first it wasn't going to be an all the time thing. And then now you're just full bore right back at it. Yeah. Like, cause you like sold like a lot of your sound equipment and stuff too, before you took off, didn't you? Well, yeah, I sold the entire PA. I gave my lights away, which I'm kicking myself for that. Should have given them to me. <laughs> yeah, I had a really nice my sound my PA was like a really nice little QSC setup. And I actually listed it for sale on Craigslist and some religious cult from Chicago bought it. So at least there's a satisfaction <laughs> knowing that like they're brainwashing their followers. <laughs> you know, so. That's fucking great, dude. That's but yeah, like I, I can't verify that they were a religious cult, but they were very cult-like in their behavior. So oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, a lot of organized religion is a cult, to be honest with you. Hey, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No questions asked. So whenever you threw that first show, did you already have uh, the whole cranial nerve moniker in mind for your next promotion? Well, so, so cranial nerve, like, in the back of your skull, like in your brain, you have 12 pairs of cranial nerves. And, uh, you know, they're responsible for like vision and smell and, and hearing. And I had been in the medical field years ago and I had memorized those at one point. I couldn't tell you what they are now, but I had them all memorized and it was cool and whatnot and like blah, blah, whatever. And I was always fascinated with like, the central nervous system and the cranial nerves and all this. And so around like 2014, I came up with that concept. It, it was like originally cranial nerve productions. And, uh, so like I kind of brought it back, um, about, uh, about a year and a half ago. Like I decided to kind of resurrect the concept and I went with cranial nerve records at the time. And so that's what I have been doing is putting out a lot of, you know, material compilations mainly. Um, like I was really inspired by some horror punk bands for about the past five or six years. So like I had 
been thinking about that in my mind. You know, I want to release music. I had worked with multiple record labels in the past and saw how they kind of did it. And like, oh, I like that. I don't like this. Blah, blah, whatever, you know, kind of made it my own. And then there's like, you know, it, it kind of snowballed out of control that just putting out a couple compilation CDs turned into booking shows and then helping bands book tours and then booking for a venue and this and that. It just turned into like overnight. It was just a lot. Yeah. And then I was constantly getting like emails from bands. Hey, we want to come play your record store. It's like, well, okay, I don't have a record store. I'm sorry. So, (laughs) so I just, I kind of decided, I made an executive decision. It's like, we're going to drop the word records altogether just to cut the confusion. And, you know, like labels, there's a little, there's some negative things that come, you know, like some negative thoughts that go along with the term record label and record company and don't need any of that. So it's like the word records can just, Peace. See you later. (laughs) But honestly, it was just to to get rid of some confusion that had existed. Well, I know that at least, again, from my perspective, I think you've already said it, the fact that kind of whenever you came back at it with this cranial nerve project, you had so much more that you were doing even in the past, which you were already doing a lot. And that is kind of the compilation aspect of things. And uh, you were so kind to send us some of that and our little care package that you sent us as well. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. Really like to see it, man. I like to see you kind of stretching yourself out there too. And you know, you probably provided an opportunity for people that they wouldn't have had otherwise and gave them kind of exposure that they wouldn't have, have had otherwise. And that's just, again, goes all, all the way back to your motivations, the spirit in which you do things. It's always like you're kind of championing the little guy and, Hats off to you for that, for sure. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, like, you know, and realistically, it's kind of, you know, it's if people who've known me for more than just a few years, they knew that I was like a garden plant fanatic, like, you know, hippie nature, kind of, you know, like get excited about my compost pile kind of guy, you know, and. So everything in nature and like in the garden kind of works together, you know, and it's just nobody asks anybody for anything. Everybody just knows and there's a role everybody plays. Right. You know, and I, I kind of feel like, you know, if you can help somebody else along the way and push them and kind of, you know, set them up and watch them become better than you'll be, you know, like that, that's good enough for me, really. You know, (laughs) it's like, I totally, and I do know from like my past experiences, like I would pick up like a Cleopatra records compilation. And like, to this day, I still listen to some bands that, you know, I've discovered on a comp from the mid nineties, you know? So, you know, and a lot and physical media is kind of like, you know, limited to vinyls and cassettes these days, really. I still, I'm still a firm believer in the CD. Well, it's a great audio quality. Well, and yeah, and like I read somewhere like almost six out of 10 cars still have a CD player in them today, you know? So that's 60%. That's, those are pretty good odds that, you know, you give somebody a CD, they'll pop it in the CD player. 
<laughs> so more CD players than uh, tape players, and definitely more than vinyl players in a car. <laughs> oh yeah, and right. you Absolutely. know there's a, a lot of bands I talk to. Um, they say cassettes like really help them eat when they're on the road, you know. Yeah. So that you know that it's it's they're back, you know. So there's no doubt about it. They've been back for a while, so. You know, and I, I like to see that because, you know, that opens that up for me, too, in the future. If I ever want to do a cassette release, I know the, you know, the demand for it is there. But Overheads less and uh, the profit yeah. margins are bigger with cassettes. And again, it gives that opportunity, like you mentioned, somebody have a physical. I mean, there's no better advertisement, really, than physical media in a lot of cases. That is especially, you know, like let's say I have friends over family or whatever, and they want to go check out my record stash and stuff like that you know i start thumbing through cassettes or records or whatever and it, it's almost like the childhood nostalgia experiences start to rush back to mind of i know at least for me like you know i even remember a time before walmart even really had the single displays out you know where they had like cassette singles still that they were selling and yeah. things like that you know yeah so it, it and i always like enjoyed like going to comic book shops or going in, uh, buying collector's cards and things like that. You know, you talked about magic, Zach. That's another thing. Yeah. You know, it, it helps you tap into some of those fond childhood memories and things like that too. And really it's just a conversation piece, if nothing else. I mean, outside the fact it's music, you like it, you enjoy it, you're supporting bands that you like, but it, there's just so, there's so many facets to the benefits of it. Well, and you know, like TV guide didn't know what they were doing at the time, but you know, they, uh, they influenced me a lot by, you know, the penny CD. <laughs> oh, yeah. Columbia Records. Take the penny on the card and mail it in. You get 15 CDs that you're never going to pay for. Yep. <laughs> like, then, you know, they would send you one every month or something like that and expect you to pay for it. Well, one, they sent me Boys to Men, Cooley High Harmony. Hey, and I'd have been down with that. Like, that was incredible. <laughs> yeah. You know, us being from the small town, you know, we don't deal with a lot of people other than just plain old white folks, you know. So I joined the military and I know this Boys to Men album forwards and backwards. Yeah. So that gave me some common ground, you know, with people that I had not interacted with before. And, you know, it was just the awesomest feeling being able to connect with them because we both loved Boys to Men. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, and that's just one story, you know, like uh, talking about Alice in Chains. There are other dudes out there that are weird like me. They're Alice in Chains fanatics. And, you know, when you find them, it's like a magical it occurrence. Is. Yeah. You know, it's like, ah, oh, like this dude knows all about it. <laughs> but, yeah, the I'm sure IOBMG music like thousands of dollars from right. 1990. So. <laughs> hey, count the Lewis household a part of those people that owe them a lot of money. That's, you know, yeah. my dad started my fascination with all that stuff too at a young age. He, he started a lot of those subscriptions and stuff too and uh, never paid them back and even get duplicates and give them to me. So that's how a lot of my early beefy CD collections started. That is, and I remember... A lot of those being like Allison Chain, Soundgarden, Van Halen, uh, 311, those bands, man. And uh, Boys to Men, some Boys to Men in there too. And Young MC, 
you know, shit like that. Oh yeah. <laughs> Young MC. Yeah. Oh, I'm always going to be a physical media head, even if it's just totally dinosaur at some point, I just can't not be. And I hope it's something I can pass along to my kids too. And they have an interest in it. I mean, they act like they have an interest in it right now, but they're also, you know, ages one to nine. So we'll see if that pans oh, out. Yeah. I have a 20 year old an 18 year old and a 14 year old. Mine are a little bit older. So, <laughs> well, one thing I've been loving dude lately is you've been sharing some of your kids, uh, picks and he's been doing it on his own, like, uh, picking out stuff. I know you've put up some pictures Zach, of like, I guess Goodwill dies or whatever the case is, but I know. Oh yeah. So up here we have a mall and, uh, there is, it's called the Merle Hay Mall, and there's Rats Underground Records. So it's like uh, it's a a used record store, and they've got you know T-shirts and and patches and just like just your textbook definition of a kick-ass punk rock underground store. And you know my son goes there probably two or three times a month, and like uh, he'll buy cassettes one time he'll buy vinyls the next time and cds the next time he's just very much he was born in the wrong decade like yeah yeah we were running shows at the hard rock cafe st louis and my wife was nine months pregnant with him so that maybe that has something to do with it like the music <laughs> right rattled in his little brain I <laughs> well hey man you raised him right because i've seen there's some pretty good picks in there yeah and he um he's big into hair metal I'm okay like, with he's that. an Aussie fanatic. Oh yeah. Anything that has to do with Aussie, he's all Atta about. Hell yeah. yeah. So hey man, few better than Aussie, that's for sure. And Absolutely. Uh, one of my favorite hair metal bands is Rat. I still jam some rat nowadays. Yeah, I think he picked up a rat cassette the other day, if I can remember right. Rat and, rat and, and roll, baby. Rat and roll. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like Warrant he listens to and like Firehouse. Just like your typical eighties hair metal stuff, you know. Like that's my boy, you know. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, man. Zach, are you? Uh, I know, like as far as running your shows and stuff nowadays, you're do, you're wearing so many hats. Are you still kind of you got your own PA and stuff now, or do you have a venue that's supplying that for you? I do not own a single piece of equipment at all, and that's that's my like. So every time I invest in a PA, that's like my curse. I hear you. Like uh, something always goes south. Every time I buy a PA and or, you know, something, a show gets canceled and then I quit and I like, so it's like, it's just an ongoing joke that I'm not going to buy a PA, you know, at the moment. But I work with uh, Hall Avenue Tavern. It's a, a little 74 capacity dive bar, you know, and it, uh, it has, you know, a, a pretty decent little PV system in it comparable to you know any dive bar its size every city needs a whole avenue tavern it's just just a little joint and then i work with uh there's xbk i mentioned earlier i don't think i mentioned them by name but uh their owner is actually from ironton oh really so yeah and then so a majority of my bigger shows well all of my bigger shows have been at lefties which it's a 350 capacity venue. Um, I've got a pretty good relationship with the owner. Like I can message him and within like a half an hour, most of the time I have a response. So, uh, I mean, that, that's pretty cool. That's a, a, a good thing. I don't want to mess up. So. Yeah, and I need <laughs> yeah. so like we've got a couple of things coming to um, like, I've sent some shows to Park Hills Underground. 
some some good ones that you can tell you'll be able to tell that uh, I had something to do with them, but but it's not actually me promoting them. It's just they uh, I sent them there. So I got gotcha. you. There's a little place in skate uh, called Skate Bar in uh, St. Joseph. We kind of share bands back and forth a little bit, like. Uh, I'll email them. Hey, there's a band looking for a show. And, you know, they'll send me an email. Hey, there's a band looking for a show. So we kind of swap and share, you know, it kind of, there's a couple other little venue options. It just kind of snowballed quickly. You know, mainly I'm booking at Hall Avenue Tavern and lefties for the most part, which, you know, I'm content with that. That's it's okay. You don't need much else. So, <laughs> do you uh, have any ambitions beyond what you're doing currently? Or are you good where you're at? Or I I have been assisting with some tours here lately. Um, I've made a few good contacts. You know, just naturally it, it happens when you do shows, and I'm able. You know, I'm fortunately right now I'm able to help bands fill some dates, and you know that's a good thing. Um, I would like to expand upon that at some point in the future, you know, maybe put some, some cranial nerve bands on the road in, in that fashion. So my big extensive record contract, you know, it, uh, it consists of, Hey, yeah, you want to be on cranial nerve? Okay. Let's do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that that's our contract. So, but there is a little bit more to it, but, realistically like we kind of touched on earlier it's just like a symbiotic relationship yeah a lot of we put out physical media and help each other out generate awareness you know share resources and that's that's what it's all about it's it's not a money thing or you know anything like that it's uh it's like planting a seed you know you're not going to get a harvest from it immediately it takes a while sometimes and that's just kind of the way I look at it. Yeah. Sometimes it bears fruit. Sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, nobody bats a thousand either. Right. No, no. Keep that in mind. <laughs> you know, the thing is, is I saw like a meme or something the other day. It's like, uh, you can't compete with me because I want you to win too, you know? And I mean, that's very much the truth. I like that. You know, it's like I, I do want to see people be successful. You know, unless they're douchebags, but <laughs> uh, fair, fair, very fair, fair. Yeah, <laughs> we have there's quite a few of those in the music industry. You know, oh yeah, it's in every industry, my friend. Doesn't matter. Well, yeah, uh, there's somebody around every corner looking at how they can make a buck off of a band, right? You know, and it's just it's laughable. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Zach, I uh, I wanted to pick your brain on a few random questions not related to anything of this nature per se. Uh, you know, more like dream scenario type stuff. Questions outside of booking tours and things like that too, so that our audience gets to know you and your personality a little bit better too. You down for this? You down for this game? Sure, why not? All right, let's do it. We'll make this one a little bit more relative to what you do. If you could book a dream package on a tour, five artists, your pick. Who are you booking, and why? No limitations. Ooh. Can I bring them back from the dead? Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Dream band. Zombie. Right. Zombie lineup. Zombie Lane Staley. <laughs> zombie lineup. Let's see here. Michael Jackson gets a lot of flack, but he would have to be involved somehow because, you know, like Thriller was probably, I, I'm pretty sure it was the first album that I ever owned. I 
I might have had like a Ronnie Millsap tape. <laughs> <laughs> that was a callback. Hillbilly rednecks, yeah. you know. I I don't know, but no, like so. Thriller is the first album that I remember in its entirety from when I was a kid. I mean, so that Michael Jackson would be involved. I would have Cancer Slug as the opening act just on principle. <laughs> you know, the rudest, crudest, uh, most vile band in America. So. <laughs> Lane era Alice in Chains. So Lane would have to be the front man or I wouldn't be interested. Right. Zombie Lane, though. He's got to be a yeah, zombie. zombie Lane. <laughs> what am I at? Three? Yep. Um, got three. The Cramps would have to be involved. Okay. I'm wanting to say Sisters of Mercy, but then there's Prince, and then there's like... Oh, I, either of them could help bridge some of those gaps and some of those musical differences, I feel like. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like, if we were if we were selling tickets, I would have to have Michael Jackson, Tupac, uh, Notorious <laughs> B.I.G., and Prince. What a show. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that would it would sell out. Oh, no question. That'd be legendary. No question. Well, I mean, we can go down and get Tupac. He's like down in Jamaica or something like that, supposedly. So Yeah, yeah he's back. Sure. And supposedly, I think Marjorie Taylor Greene knows where Michael Jackson's at. For whatever reason, she knows. Nobody else. So maybe we can yeah. get the inside track from her. <laughs> I do like Lady Gaga, too. I, I lost my man card, I guess. But I like Lady Gaga. I'm going to tell you, Ridge, on the show, he's probably going to agree with you. And uh, you remember old Ridge Jackson from back in the day, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, in my band. Uh, and then um, I respect her talent. She's definitely a Personally, she's an artist. She's definitely an artist. I'll give her that. She's a hell of an I've artist. seen a lot of those videos of her back in the day, like when she was coming up and she was like in cover bands right. and shit. And like you see her doing yep. like Zeppelin and shit, like playing the John Paul Jones like key parts and singing and like nailing everything. It's pretty fucking impressive. Like it's pretty evident yeah. how talented yeah. she is present day. But even back then, I mean, you can see and knew that she had that talent. Either the musicianship and so on. Yeah, I, I feel like she's the real deal. Like genuine, Definitely. you know, they're like the Super Bowl halftime show, I think it was, or some football games, you know. I'm pretty sure that that was her vocals. Yeah. You know, right. like I I felt like that was her actually singing, you know. So it's like most of the time that's a, a pre recorded track, you know, you would think. So Definitely. Yeah, she's pretty authentic, yeah. Yeah, I I gained a lot of respect for her from her football performances. I I thought she nailed them, so. What are your thoughts on our present-day government? People that you care for or don't care for? I, I do not, actually. Like, the last time I cared about politics was uh, Ron Paul 2012, honestly. <laughs> so, it's like, I haven't paid attention at all. Right. You know, um, treat people right. And, you know, leave me alone. Yeah. Stay out of my business. And that's all I care about. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't blame you one bit. Unfortunately, it seems like nowadays they're trying to go after fucking decent people. I don't really understand that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And people's civil liberties and all that fun stuff. But I think Ron Paul speaks on some of that, you know, libertarian mindset. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was a Paul bot for sure. Um, I dug a bunch of. Uh, Forget about that terminology. Well, and so I had, um, there was a dumpster in Park Hills and it had all this really thick, like, I mean, thick plywood in it, like scraps. So I dug it out 
and uh, cut them into squares. And I made Ron Paul 2012 signs. And I had these four inch like Torx deck screws. And I was going around zipping those to street signs <laughs> and telephone poles and like, you know, <laughs> The Torx bit is not what your your average city guy would would have on him, and yeah. and so I dug those uh, screws so deep into that thick plywood that it was a <laughs> bitch to get those off. <laughs> and uh, those signs stuck around for like eight or nine months before the city could finally remove them. So it's like I I won a small victory there. So. We're outside of the statute of limitations for anybody that's concerned too. So yeah, that's all good. That, that wasn't me. I just lied. <laughs> I lied about all. Of it. <laughs> yeah. What is the best tour package you'd say that you booked in the past? What was your favorite tour package that you booked? Oh, uh, my favorite. Oh shoot. So like, I did book some really good ones, but every time I would get like four or five really good shows booked at a venue, the venue would close down. Like it just it seemed like it never failed. So we were booking all these really good tours in Metropolis, Illinois, at this little venue called Ezekiel's. So I had this really awesome tour package with Ringworm on it. And nice. uh, like I had to cancel that. That one would have been awesome. My favorite one that I booked that didn't happen was that Fear Before with uh, Memphis Mayfire and um, Of Machines. That one never happened. But that one probably would have been my favorite. Big fear before fans over here. Oh, yeah. The most unique one I ever booked was, um, so it was in Rolla on this horse farm. It was wretched. They had just signed to Victory Records at the time. And I forgot the exact situation, but something fell through and they needed a show. So we booked them on this horse farm in Rolla. Like it was like pre GPS days. So I had to meet them at the Rolla Walmart and they had to follow <laughs> me out to this farm. Wow. So uh, Johnny Barton, I think you guys know him. Yep. He was with me. He was running sound. And uh, we had just probably 50 or 60 people out on this horse farm, like in the middle of like the woods. So there's this, you know, what would go on to be a national touring act later. You know, they were freshly signed to victory, if I remember right, and four or five local bands. So we had this packed show. Their merch table was, like, completely packed all night. Um, you know, it just, it felt like a good situation to be in, you know. And if, if that makes any sense whatsoever, it just the night felt good. And... uh it sounded good. Johnny had it dialed in and, you know, wretched. They were professionals. They had their stage volume just perfect. And, you know, it was just, it was perfect. Yeah. That one was memorable. I booked one with, um, so it was Hell Within and the Autumn Offering. And that was the last show that um, the Autumn Offering played. Their singer quit after that show. And do you guys remember Antoine? Yeah. Okay, so Antoine was at that show. That he was like uh, he was like a good luck charm in St. Louis. You know, if Antoine showed up to one of your shows, you knew it was going to be a good night. So Antoine was there, and the exact opposite was true. Like it was bad luck that night. Oh wow! The tour package bands got into this big fight. The lead singer of Autumn Offering quit. It was just. 
they were outside in the U-City loop outside the venue just fighting with a baseball bat. And here I am oh, breaking shit. up a fight. And just, it was awful. Oh, man. Damn. We booked, um, uh, oh, a memorable one. Um, there was Destroy, Destroy, Destroy. They were on, uh, I think they were on like this little subsidiary of uh, Metal Blade Records. I can't remember what it was, but um, it was like they had this Iron Maiden cover. And this dude was like, they had this insane light show that they didn't tell anybody about. So they show up to the venue and they're setting these lights up and it's just like phenomenal. And uh, uh like just Viking type shit. And like, I was just blown away. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, this dude, he didn't like a speedo. I'm like, Oh, you gotta be kidding me. But <laughs> They were on black market activities. Destroy, destroy, destroy. I was trying That's to remember it. it myself. Yeah. And I was having trouble remembering. I was wanting to say ferret, but, uh, destroy, destroy, destroy. It was on black market activities. They like, it would have been different if I had expected it and like, would have known what to expect. But here, this dude like comes out and just speedos. Right. I'm like, right. Ooh, look at that. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Those guys were sweet back in the day. That was your favorite shows. I got to ask you on the flip side, what's some of the worst shows that you, what was some of nightmare scenarios? Some funny personal anecdotes. What was some of the worst shows that you booked? Just because uh, Murphy's Law, maybe type situations or you know things of that ilk. What were some of your least favorite experiences you had to uh, oversee? Well, so we touched on it earlier that those club thump shows in Park Hills. Um, we did one; it was a really good show. You know, uh, the folks with the PA showed up on time; everything was fine. Well, we were waiting to open doors. And I opened the door and there was a lot of people that they had their hand already marked. And I was like, what's going on here? Well, long story short, there was a line of people around the building and there was this girl outside with a Sharpie charging people five bucks for a Sharpie mark. And then so she was collecting money outside and Shit. basically took it and, and bailed. Wow. So it's like all these 20, 30, 40, I don't know. Like a bunch of people had a Sharpie mark on their hand that had not paid, but they thought they did. Damn. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, you know, I, I don't remember how we handled that situation, but it was a learning experience. Trust yeah, me. Yeah, for sure. So, to get something a little bit more unique. Yeah. We, we, when we had a show that mattered, we did wristbands from that point on. So, well, I got, I got another one for you. Okay. If you had three artists and you could pick their entire catalog and that's all you could ever listen to again for the rest of your life, you don't get to listen to any new music, any old music, anything that you like, what are those three artists going to be? Hmm. Allison Chains, Cancer Slug, Sisters of Mercy. Okay. Yeah. So I'm see. I chose Cancer Slug because they've got 20 years worth of material that nobody's ever heard of, and they'll be releasing it soon, I'm sure, when they need money. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> but yeah, like I'm a big fan. So good. I'm glad to hear you champion somebody different and outside of the box of norm that anybody else might expect or be aware of too. Oh yeah, like 
people don't expect me to be into some of the stuff I'm into, like gothy type stuff. <laughs> They're like, you know, I should like five finger death punch. Just that's the stereotypical hillbilly thing to like. I, guess. <laughs> I mean, there's really something in every genre for everybody. I feel like, you know, you just have to find that, right, that yeah. artist that intrigues you or it's something you like, you know, I, a genre that I always shit on pretty routinely is country, but there's a lot of good country artists. Don't get me wrong. It's just, I don't like the majority of them. And the most of the country yeah. I like is like, you know, outlaw country type shit, you know, like Willie and Waylon and, you know, those cats, Hank Sr. and Johnny Cash and, and all that yep. stuff. Yeah. Right. The good shit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody who wants to see Willie better hurry up. I know. 90, yeah, no, man. Sad, man. I just got my wife and my oldest daughter tickets to go see him in St. Louis in uh, here in about three, four weeks. He's playing. So. It'll be, awesome. it'll be my awesome. wife's second time, my oldest daughter's first and probably last time. But uh yeah, that was a bucket list artist for my wife. She got the chance to go a couple years ago. So she finally got to see him and she's gonna see him a second, probably last time. Well, and that that legal marijuana, that'll help Willie's cause in Missouri too. So yeah. That's oh correct. yeah. Yeah, he's already selling it here. So <laughs> I'm jealous. Like I move away and they legalize weed. Come on. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> I know. They knew Zach was leaving and they fucked you. <laughs> they did. And then a venue opens up like a quarter mile from where I lived for 20 years. <laughs> so. so, Zach, what's something that you're currently watching? What's something you're a big fan of that you're maybe it's a TV show or a movie or a series or docuseries? What's something that you're really into right now, invested in? So. I just watched that AMC interview with the vampire. Yeah. How was that? And I thought it was incredible. I've heard good things. Yeah. 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 Say, I've been reading good things about it. Yeah. I, I mean, movie, so. like, you know, uh, a lot of Anne Rice's vampires have traditionally been, you know, where they would go both ways, you know? So a lot of, a lot of the Anne Rice purists, online you know they're they're pretty accepting of the the reimagining of it you know but a lot of people who are you know a little bit more conservative they don't like all the the kind of homosexual tones of it but who who cares really right. like I, right it's an incredible show i loved it it was awesome anybody that saw the neil jordan one the tom cruise and brad pitt one i mean there was definitely illusions of that type of relationship taking place from with betwixt the two of them i don't think that they right, ever exactly. explicitly that was, said yeah. it but there was definitely overtones there and it yeah, was a very absolutely. campy presentation so i mean i will say things yeah. go over a lot of conservative people's Head, so uh, oh yeah well and there there are no illusions in this one there it, it's straight up yeah. so uh, yeah and, and <laughs> yeah. you know it don't get me wrong incredible show loved it i need to watch it again that's how good it is so oh, wow oh shit yeah yeah honestly i forgot all about it and i was hearing really good things about it i might have even seen you talking about it specifically while you were watching it but uh i need to i do need to watch that one i told it totally fell off my radar altogether yeah um like I, I need to get caught up on the Mandalorian. Like I think I'm on season two, episode two, or something. Like I, I'm slacking. This <laughs> so. this newest season has its moments, but I I think it's its weakest season overall. What do you think, Josh? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think this the writing is definitely by far this is the weakest. I season. think the Star Wars universe is starting to get a little bit of what's going on with the Marvel universe, kind of the oversaturation, and people are kind of taking absolutely. it for granted and and kind of falling off. But there's a few things in the Star Wars universe universe coming up still yet that I'm excited about. Yeah, and they're trying to make too much work in the Star Wars universe. Like they're trying to like make all this stuff tie and connect it in with the new, new, with the old, old, and it yeah. just like seems like they're doing too much. But that's just my opinion. Yeah, and then and the forced bridging of the gaps between the original trilogy versus the, I guess, prequels, episode three, you know, one through three, and then now they're doing this gap between, you know, uh, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi and. And then all the way up to the Disney Ridley trilogy, you know, the newer ones. Yeah. So now they're filling that gap. So, yeah, there's it can get confusing for the casuals, I guess, is my point I'm trying to make, too. Yeah. So that, I think right. that turns people off. Oh, I am very much a casual. Like, I, yeah, I'm not like a, an intense, like, super knowledgeable Star Wars nerd like I should be. But I was kind of like a Star Trek nerd. That's kind of what I was raised on. And I came to Star Wars, like, right before... Like when the uh, episode one through three came out, like I was a like a adolescent or something in that ballpark age wise, uh, teenager, preteen, something. But uh, I don't know. It, that's my dad wasn't really into it, so by proxy, I kind of wasn't. My cousin super into it. I remember like all the collectible like Mountain Dew cans and shit. Like we would, my cousin would collect all the Mountain Dew cans, and I'm like, what the fuck is this? Like this is kind of <laughs> silly. Oh yeah, you know at the time. And uh, I eventually, right before, right after my daughter was born, uh, uh, Force Awakens was coming out. They, they had my first daughter. That is, and uh, she started to show an interest in movies and stuff. And we're like, you know what? Fuck it. We're going to take a chance. We're going to take her to go see Force Awakens. She loved it. She had an amazing movie experience. Just watching her at the movies just kind of recaptured my love for movie going and things like that. Like just to kind of see the twinkle in her eye. And then I kind of got it, you know, the Star Wars thing. Cause that's, I mean, what it was when it originally came out, it, you know, predates me when they originally came out. But, uh, I I kind of fell in love with the Star Wars universe and um you know I'm a fan nowadays and try to give it a chance. Oh yeah, like my thing was Lord of the Rings. Like oh, oh it's man. Good too. It's good shit. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I'm I'm a really big fan of like, you know, when when Aragorn goes into the mountain, he's like talking to the dead, you know, like yeah. uh I'm like he's like bitch you're going to come fight for me because I'm the captain <laughs> of this ship. You know? Right. right. <laughs> so, yeah. So. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. Lord of the Rings. That's another really good franchise. And I think widely considered of the best movie franchises that are out there. Oh yeah, definitely. Zach, man, you've been so generous with your time today and I appreciate the conversation and going into uncharted territory at times and somewhat charted territory. Yeah, man. Thank you. Uh, where can people find you and stay in tune with you and everything that you've got going on? Facebook. I just bought cranialnerveus.com. Okay. So if you want to lo- log on to that, you'll find like uh, a GoDaddy Park site that has nothing on it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you can find all of our releases on Bandcamp, Cranial Nerve US. There's a couple compilation CDs on there that you can download for free, listen all you want, whatever. Awesome. We're getting ready to put out a tour sampler for blank- Blanket of M. Okay. They have some ties to the mineral area. The the Drudge is on my Bandcamp page. 
that is actually Josh from Brokeneck's uh, side project. Okay. So it's like a sludgy metal type project that we put out. Nice. But yeah, like all the, um, you know, the common criminals I'm on, you know, Instagram and uh, <laughs> easy to find. Anybody that's watching or listening today, uh, we will definitely have Zach's information and where to follow in the episode details if you're listening to the audio version of the podcast. If you're watching us on YouTube when the on-demand drop video comes, all of those links will be in the episode details as well. You're going to be able to jump to the band camp for Cranial Nerve. You'll be able to jump to the various social media sites so you can stay up to date with postings, ongoing shows, tour packages, and all the fun stuff that Zach's talked about that he's got in the works tonight. Thank you very much. Yes, our pleasure, sir. And Zach, it's always a good time catching up with you, man, and much success to you and the Cranial Nerve business going forward. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. This was like... Seven people before you guys were like, hey, hey, come on. Like, no, nah, I don't want to do a podcast. So it's like, you finally talked me into it. So this, yeah. this was my first one. I had to so work on you a little bit. You're welcome. Thank you very much. <laughs> Hopefully it was a pleasant experience for you. Oh, yeah. It was better cool. lined him in. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not better looking. Sorry. Hey. <laughs> I mean, look yeah. at us, man. Uh, you're a 10 compared to us, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we turn people off constantly that's why our numbers are going down because we started added video to everything <laughs> the video element. we let people's imaginations wander beforehand yeah hey if they just heard audio for me ooh. <laughs> hey this is josh from ati podcast for show updates and news about the podcast follow us on social media you can follow us on facebook at facebook.com slash ati podcast 22 on twitter at podcast underscore ati on Instagram at the ATI Podcast, on TikTok at ATI Podcast. DMs are always welcome. Have a question for the show? You can always email us at ATI Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Stay safe out there. Thank you all for sticking around after the break. Josh and I wanted to take the opportunity to once again thank Zach Weiss for his appearance on the show today. Cranial nerve. Absolutely. Zach is a longtime friend, as we mentioned in our open and discussions with him routinely and I hope that today's conversation with him kind of conveyed the fact that just a super solid, good dude. And I really enjoyed, if nothing else, catching up with him, but certainly kind of spotlighting his efforts, particularly in the mineral area. I would consider him a huge influence on me personally and, you know, some of the decision making and how I would even run shows and things like that whenever I was booking shows. And he was just like a really good influence and everything's kind of monkey see monkey do to some extent in our area. And I'm definitely a guy who learns on the fly and learns by watching others. And there was little to no greater example to learn from than Zach Weiss, in my opinion. Right. Yeah. And I mean, he had such a big impact on the music scene and that music scene had such a big impact on all, a lot of our lives. You know what I mean? Yeah. Made definitely led to to who we are today. So definitely got to pay homage to those people that, you know, helped make those things materialize and, come to fruition so yeah super thankful to have him on the show to talk about that because like i said just such an important time in so many people's lives so cool to cool to talk to and i think he's a guy that uh like i mentioned in the conversation that really doesn't get his roses that he should or his flowers he has always been kind of more of the behind the scenes guy he's not like one to get out to make public speeches or make it be a character or anything like that he's been a very low-key guy and i think that was kind of Maybe some of his apprehension on coming on to the show too. 
you know, so yeah. I was glad I got him to come out of his shell a little bit so people could see his personality because he's a super fucking good dude. Yeah. Super nice guy. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That, that is one special dude I will never forget. That's for sure. Josh, let's talk about what we got going on for the good folks. And we have to start that conversation with the very next thing that we're going to be doing in real time in real life. And that is the punk rock flea market, STL punk rock flea market. It is the fourth one that they're having up in St. Louis. It's going to be happening at Kinnear Plaza. So that's going to be Saturday, guys. And I believe it starts at 11 a.m. It is an all ages event. We do So that means bring the family. If the family is usually the excuse you don't get out to stuff, it doesn't count for this one, guys and gals. We've got various vendors, and we've talked about them. Glamgoria, Terror Tacos is going to be involved. The vendor list and the artists that will be performing at said event, the St. Louis Punk Rock Flea Market, is all over our stuff tagged. Uh, We're going to go heavy in the next few days with some social media campaigns, posts, shares, all that stuff of everything that's going on with the Punk Rock Flea Market. And uh, we're very happy to be associated with this event. I know that, I mean... A lot of punk rock's going to be happening, but as Don mentioned, who we spoke to previously from the record space, who's helping organize this event, there's going to be things outside of just your general punk rock expectations uh, when it comes to music, and there's going to be things outside of that when it comes to the vendors as well. Maxine 13, former guest of the show, is going to be set up there too. Brilliant. Brilliant artists. Yep. So we're really looking forward to the various vendors and uh, the various talents that'll be on display. We'll be there. Yeah. Come out and see us be setting up somewhere near the stage uh, and capturing some of those artists for some artist interviews and spotlights and uh, hopefully get out there and speak to some vendors and do some live streaming. So I think a lot of what our content's going to be is exclusively just kind of live streaming that event that day. We're going to capture some video footage to maybe put together some highlight reel type stuff and uh, be posting that at a later date, a few weeks down the road. But Specifically, if you want to catch all the action, get with us on the live streams. We're going to have artist interviews. We're going to have merchant interviews. We're going to have, uh, when I say artists, you know, band interviews. Uh, We're going to have actual artists such in the vein of a Maxine, uh, figurative artists. Hear from some of our former guests. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) even if it's a hello or, hey, this is them. And we're meeting in person for the first time. Really looking forward to the event. I think it's got something for everybody. And there's so many hands coming together. My understanding is the parking situation to get there, at, even as a patron, is uh, not your usual nightmarish scenario in St. Louis. So don't let that be a stopper as well. Don't let that be something that keeps you from attending this event. If you got nothing going on this Saturday, hey, it's my first day of vacation, guys. And I'm <laughs> foregoing vacation at least a day to attend this event. So if nothing else, feel sorry for me and come out visit me right? <laughs> yeah. it's all about me come squeeze that ass yeah 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 and there's plenty <laughs> of it now because believe me oh yeah this uh back issue and everything else has got me laid up a little bit more so i'm a little less active and man i got i got that sweet tooth especially as i'm getting older man i don't know what the fuck it is but i gotta have gotta have my little snacks before bed oh well at least you're doing better than me i'm doing it in the middle of the night still i'm still not eating like a motherfucker i'm gaining 30 pounds every week so <laughs> <laughs> the struggle is real with that for sure Dad bod supreme. Punk Rock Flea Market STL 4 is this Saturday, May 27th. Come check it out. We look forward to seeing you guys 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. So you ain't got to be there all day. There's plenty to do to keep you there all day. But 
great opportunity, especially if you've never taken your kids to a concert. This is going to be the chance. Yeah. Bring them out. Yeah, it'd be great. Let them get that experience hearing some live music. It's outside, so the sound will dissipate if that's a concern of yours. You know, take whatever precautions you need to as a parent. But Punk Rock Flea Market 4 in St. Louis this Saturday, May 27th. Let's talk about what we got going on after that. So uh, I mentioned I'm on vacation, so we're going to have that on-demand drop. So anybody who tuned in for the live feed with Joey Rackavan last Sunday, thank you for doing so. I feel like Joey and I did a lot of justice to some awesome female musicians in the industry over the years. I mean, we even went back to artists in the 1940s and gave them shots out. Should also recognize the fact that Brandon Stewart, routine contributor of the show, it's been a little while since his last contributions to the show, but he hopped on for a brief period and threw in five picks of his own. And so uh, tune in for that. And I think that Brandon had some very good picks and only had one crossover with myself. And so he had a lot of unique picks and uh, added a little bit of variety that we wouldn't have had otherwise. So I appreciate Brandon and him hopping in at the last minute and throwing some stuff out there on his busy trip back from Dallas, I believe, all the way back to Abilene. So that's a good almost four-hour ride. And so oh, damn. he made the call and uh, called in and helped us out a little bit there for a short period. Full episode will drop in the preceding days. So this one's going to happen first. You're going to have that on June 1st. And the reason that it's coming on June 1st and why it's so special is the fact that that's the start of Women's Month on the ATI podcast. June is dedicated totally to women on the ATI podcast. And we're speaking with women across the board, across various trades, skill sets, and so forth. But we thought things just talking about female musicians, because that's a lot of what we do here is, and we're musicians and things of that out too, fans of music. We got things kicked off with that discussion right after that. That's going to lead us into our next guest. And we'll be back live with you for episode 18 of this season. And that's going to be our 71st episode overall. We're going to be- Which is insane. I know. Live with (laughs) Jackie Kelly, the actress. And you've heard Jackie's name in some of our former episodes with Douglas Wicker, as well as Mondo Franco. Uh, Jackie is a rising actress out of the St. Louis area. Not to say that she only works in St. Louis. She's worked all over the continental United States, as well as I believe she had some- uh, they had to take actually some shooting sabbaticals with Mondo's projects because she was going abroad for some opportunities as well. So looking forward to speaking to her about her various opportunities to date. Today, I shared a GoFundMe, or I should say Indiegogo project uh, involving uh, Jackie Kelly and what she's got going on. And I'm going to pull up those details now real quickly as a reminder. They've got a film that they are trying to crowdfund right now, and I'm really looking forward to talking to them about that because that's just a whole different part of the industry that we haven't really dove deep in on. Again, some mentions in passing, uh, Mondo had mentioned that he's going to be working on crowdfunding some projects in the future, and uh, he'll be forwarding those things to us so that we can include those in the future. Wake Not the Dead. Wake Not the Dead. Search for that on Indiegogo to read and see the details. Look at some of the teasers that they have for things that they're working on with regards to that film. They're crowdfunding that film. And uh, we're going to talk about Wake Not the Dead for a good portion of our conversation as well to help get them some steam and some support and some people uh, donating to that cause. But I think the movie looks great already. I think it captures some of you know, those 80s slasher or horror vibes, 
already, even with some of the stills that they've shared. So that's just kind of right up my alley and really looking forward to hear what that's going to be all about and looking forward to contributing to that cause too. And then we've got a whole group of awesome women coming after that. We've got Ann Wood, the artist out of Texas. We've got professional wrestlers. We've got business owners. So again, we're going to be sharing those agendas with an updated agenda so everybody knows what's coming down the pipeline. Josh, how are you feeling about this? I'm excited, man. I think we had a lot of cool stuff cooking. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited for this weekend. You know, hopefully we'll get to see some familiar faces or even some new faces. I think that'll be great. And then the whole ladies month thing, man. You know me, I'm all about the ladies. So let's pay homage to them ladies. They deserve it. Like the lady man. But I'm a fifth aim with the thumb. Yeah, it's a Gavathier. It's a Gavathier. Well, I have the fifth <laughs> amateurs and Gavathier at the booth this weekend. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there is one more thing I did want to add real quick. And, uh, Get on it. We, we talked about the recreational stuff a little bit with him. Um, I've been like going into these dispensaries a lot, and um, these butt tenders, man, they've been telling me horror stories about people not being very friendly to them because of marijuana shortages. Really? And I just wanted to say... These people have nothing to do with how much marijuana supply is in circulation in Missouri. Yeah. Don't go into these dispensaries and chew out these bud tenders like it's their fault or they have anything to do with it. This is a brand new industry in the state, and it's ridiculous. You guys need to, like, pick and choose who you're going to bitch at, because most of the time you're just picking on somebody that... It has no fucking control over the situation. So I just wanted to add that in there before we got off the call because that's driving me crazy. I got a lot of friends that work in the industry. We've we've interviewed a friend of ours that works in the industry. It's just, you know, just be nice. Be nice. Be nice. Yeah. That's all there is to it. And if you don't take anything else from this episode, take Josh's PSA to heart. So yeah, treat your bud tenders how you want to be treated. We'll see everybody at the punk rock flea market. For this week, I am Barrett at Barry Insane on Instagram and Twitter. And he is Josh underscore Josh Welsh on Instagram. And we are out of time. Until next time, good night and good luck. And stay safe out there. Confess all your crimes
This is Barrett from the ATI Podcast. Each week, Josh and I discuss current events, pop culture, music, TV, movies, politics, sports. Nothing is out of bounds. You can also tune in to learn about rising artists, small businesses, whether it's music, graphic design, filmmaking, or even a brick-and-mortar mom-and-pop shop. We'll be spotlighting folks and their endeavors. Listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Anchor, or anywhere you enjoy your podcast. Just search ATI Podcast. We would like to thank you for your continued support. And as always, please stay safe out there.